If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, as Paul's writing to the church of Corinth, he's going to talk more about the resurrection and all that it means in all of other scripture in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to really see what it means for us, this incredible good news, why this is more important than anything, that we find life and life abundantly right here. Well, if you looked at a dictionary and you're trying to figure out the definition of Trojan, Trojan horse, Trojan horse, the dictionary would say this, a person or a thing intended to undermine or destroy from within. Now, that makes sense to a lot of you. You say, of course that is. That's a Trojan horse. But some of you think, well, why is a Trojan horse defined that way? Well, Trojan horse is the story from Greek literature and and Greek history that tells us of a battle that the Greeks had with the city of Troy. Uh, and it's an incredible famous story. Uh, many of you probably know this story. The story is, is that the Greeks uh, pretended that they were fleeing. Well, they actually fled. They def- pretended that they were defeated. And so they all get in their boats, they all leave the shore, and they all sail, sail away. And those in Troy said, hey, victory is ours. We've won. They're leaving. Nah, 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 nah. You know, you guys, we, we, we whipped you. And they go down to the shore, and all they find is a huge Trojan horse. And then what is this thing? Why is this wooden Trojan horse just sitting left behind? And they come up with the idea, well, maybe it was left as like a victory present. You guys got us. You, you got us good. Here's, here's a present. It's for you, and it's for your gods. And so we're going to leave you this Trojan horse as kind of an emblem of victory, kind of a, like a gold medal kind of thing, and, and you can now have it. And so they said, now let's cool. Hey, let's bring it into our city. Let's bring it in close to the temple uh, to our God because we want to proclaim victory. We want to remember this horse and remember the victory that is ours. Well, those, those Greeks were pretty crafty, aren't they? Maria's like, amen, yes. (laughs) Got some Greeks right here in the front. They're all like, amen. They're loving this right here. If I mess up the story, let me know, but don't tell me until later, all right? So they had like 30 of the greatest warriors that they had, and guess where they were? They were tucked up inside that wooden horse. They were tucked inside, so they were rolled in stealthily. They didn't even know it. No one knew that they were there, but there they were. And when nighttime fell, they got out of the horse, and they went and they signaled to the armies. Fellas, we're in. Fellas, we're on the inside. And they were able to go, and they were able to unlock the city gates from within. They were able to open up the city from within. And just in a matter of moments, as the uh, armies come rushing in, Troy was sacked, and victory was theirs, a, a resounding victory. What the people of Troy thought was a symbol of victory to them was not at all It was a thing that was intended to undermine or destroy from within. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ was a Trojan horse of sorts to the Romans and to the Jewish leaders of the day. That cross that would appear to be a symbol of victory, a symbol of victory over this Jesus of Nazareth that was driving them crazy. This Jesus of Nazareth who was doing things that no one else had ever done And all of his followers were saying that he's the Messiah. 
They're saying that this Jesus of Nazareth, he is actually the son of God. And so we're going to finally silence them, finally do away with them as they crucify Jesus on the cross. Well, the cross of Christ was a Trojan horse, but it was used by God. By God as a symbol of victory over sin and death. Oh, you silly Romans, you silly Jewish leaders, you thought you had the victory, but the victory is all God's. I want you to hear what Paul says to the church in Colossae in Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15. And again, I don't think the, the English kind of tells you the Greek, but there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek in this. This is like, this is a Trojan horse kind of uh, saying that says, hey, what they thought was victory, Jesus and the cross was the ultimate victory. Hear this in verse 13. And you and I, who were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our hearts, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us, that's our sin, with its legal demands. This he set aside, watch this, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, putting them to open shame by triumphing over them in him on the cross. You see, the cross was God's Trojan horse over his and our enemies, over sin and death. God has beautifully undermined and destroyed death from within through the death and resurrection of his own son. And now and forever, God proclaims victory. Victory in Jesus. The reality is this. Because of Easter, because of the truth that that tomb was empty, hope reigns. Life reigns. Because Jesus reigns. Hit pause. Do we need hope? Do we need to taste of victory? We, know, we need to hope that there's even more to come. This is it, the celebration of Easter. We're going to look at four things this morning as we unpack 1 Corinthians 15. Hope reigns, why? Because God's plan worked. Secondly, hope reigns because our past is covered. Hope reigns because our future is secured. And hope reigns because our present is fruitful. All of that amazing truth comes right out of 1 Corinthians 15. So let's hear God's word. Uh, given to us. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to skip to 12 through 26, and then read 54 and 58. No matter where we are, let's be mindful. This is God's holy, inerrant word. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, Paul writes, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, they've perished. If in Christ we hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that's Adam, and by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. I want to skip to 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death and the, is the power, and the power of sin. The sin of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you for the incredible power of the resurrection, the power to bring new life. God, each and every one of us needs to experience and taste and understand that power. God, I can't give it to him. I can't even explain it to him apart from the Holy Spirit. So God, would you do that which only you could do? Would you speak through a broken, needy sinner like me? And God, would you just be with us in a way that you give us ears to hear your voice? That God, you give us minds that would understand your word, this love letter to us. That God, each one that is here or watching online, you give us hearts that would embrace your love and your truth and the reality of a risen Savior named Jesus. That, God, you would give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name. The things that I say that are wrong or just this, my opinion, may those things be forgotten quickly and fall away. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, oh, Lord, would you use those things to make us more like your Son, our Savior, Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. The first thing we got to see this incredible Easter morning is that hope reigns and will forever reign. Why? Because God's plan works. It did work. God's plan worked. Before time began, God's word tells us that God devised a plan. Why? Because he loved you and he loved me. And he knew what would happen to us. And he knew that we would be sinful and fall away. But God says, I'm going to go rescue him. And God devised a plan. And the, the plan was initiated by God the Father. In the very beginning, God the Father says, okay, we got to go get the lost. And he was going to send God the Son to come and to rescue us. 
The plan always begins with the Father. He's the always one who begins the plan of creation, begins the plan of recreation. The plan of God begins with him even before time began. But the plan who was initiated by the Father, it was executed by God the Son. He's the one who did it. It was Jesus, the eternal word of God, who became flesh, who was born of the Virgin Mary, born in Bethlehem, who, who grew up and, and lived a sinless life. It was Jesus who, who executed the plan, living the life that we failed to live, who executed the plan, dying the death that we deserve to die, and being resurrected from the dead. He executed that plan that the Father had laid out for him. And that the plan is empowered by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was baptized, here you have God's son, and the father was so excited. He looks down and says, that's my beloved son. Man, listen and follow him. And at that point, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and, and envelops him. It's, the fullness of the Spirit is upon him. Why? So he has the full power of God. And that whole power of God empowers God's story and empowers us. We don't get God's story apart from the Holy Spirit. We don't understand it. If you're here and you love Jesus because the power of the Holy Spirit has given you ears to hear and the ability to see. And man, that, that power. So you see, this is God's plan, initiated by the Father, executed by the Son, empowered by the Spirit. And God's plan is so good, it's called the gospel. The gospel, that's a fancy Greek word that means good news. And the gospel is this. I'm sure that you've been around Christianity in the church, you've heard that new name thrown out a lot. The good news. Let me make sure you understand. The gospel is this. The gospel is the good news of what God has done for us. It's not what we do for God. That's not good news. That's like a, a good idea. Try hard. That's not gospel. The gospel is what God has done for us, the plan that he has for us to rescue us through Jesus Christ. This is the plan of God. This is the gospel that gives us life. And Paul's going to write to the church and say, listen, this gospel, this good news, this plan, it should have first importance. This should be preeminent. This should define your life. This should just define your work. This should define your marriage. This should define the way you raise your children. This should define your hopes. This should define your dreams. I mean, this is of first importance, is this good news of the gospel and what God has done for us. So Paul is reminding the church in Corinth and re reminding us, hey, this is the gospel plan. And let's, let's look at this. what is the gospel plan. And he said, this is it. That Christ died for our sins according to God's plan. It says, according to Scripture. Jesus didn't all of a sudden show up on a cross thinking, how did this happen? What went wrong? Man, what in the world? What, what got me here? Jesus was not hanging on the cross wondering, what in the world was this all about? Jesus was born to die. He knew his whole mission. His whole mission was to rescue us. There's no rescuing apart from a cross. And that's why he would set his face like flint toward Jerusalem when he knows that's where I got to go. That's where I got to die. I have to give my life as a sacrifice for my sheep. I have to lay it down. I have to go. So it's according to God's plan. Jesus was called a substitutionary atonement. And now those people of God, the Jewish people, they would know about a substitution atonement. They would know that they would bring into the temple goats and bulls and things they'd try to slaughter, saying, God, please accept this gift on my behalf because I'm a sinner. And your word says that there's no forgiveness of sin except for the shedding of blood. And here you have Jesus as the true Passover lamb, who's a substitutionary atonement for us, dying in our place. Peter will say it this way in 1 Peter 2, verse 24. 
Jesus, he himself bore our sins, he weighed them in his body on the tree or on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. So this was a plan all along, that Christ died for our sins according to God's plan. But there's more, that Christ was buried and raised to life according to God's plan in verse 4. I love it. Jesus kept on telling his disciples, hey, guys, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and it's going to be ugly. We're going to go to Jerusalem, and guess what? You guys are going to betray me, and and, and you guys are going to run. And, and by the way, I'm going to be handed over to the rulers, uh, and, and they're going to have this mock trial, and they're going to crucify me, and I'm going to be dead and buried. But don't worry, on the third day, I'm going to rise from the grave. Now, let me tell you, this is, this is, what, this is what the disciples heard. They heard Charlie Brown's teacher's voice. Wah, 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 you know? I mean, they didn't get it. They didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit yet. Jesus was laying out the plan for them, plans a grave. The plan was a cross, a grave, an empty tomb. This is what's going to happen. They're like, huh? It took the power of the Holy Spirit for them to get it. But he told them, this is, this is, this is uh, something didn't tragically go wrong that Jesus is in the grave. This is completely according to plan. Rejoice. I love how Paul says it in Romans 4, 24 and 25. He says this, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up, up on that cross for our transgressions and raised for our justification. You have to have both things. You have to have the penalty, and you have to have being set free. God's plan for Jesus to die on the cross and be raised to life, why was it to take away our sins? It was to declare us, watch this, this is crazy, good. It was to declare us not guilty. It was so holy God could look at Jesus and say, yep, he was righteous. Yep, he paid the debt. Yep, I'm going to make an exchange. I'm going to put my, the, our, our sins on him, and I'm going to give you his righteousness. And now the word justification, it's a legal term that before holy God, we could be called not guilty. Hit pause. Can anybody look in the mirror and not feel guilty? Can anybody say, I've lived my life and I've loved God perfectly, loved my neighbor perfectly? Can anybody say we've done it? None of us, all of us have fallen short. But in Christ Jesus, according to plan, set free. Christ appeared to the multitudes to validate God's plan. In verse 5 through 11, I love this. I mean, Paul, it's an audacity. Listen, there's 500 people. Most are still alive when he wrote this. I mean, this, was, this, is, this isn't just something that happened by secret. This was something that others saw, the reality that that tomb was empty, that God's plan worked because the tomb was empty. Isn't that incredible news? Well, here's the good news. Listen, this is so good. I'm going to buy everybody lunch. I really am. I'm going to buy everybody lunch. Listen, it's on me. If you can make it, I've worked it out at the Metro Diner. I want you to go after this, uh, you know, just whatever you want. And seriously, spare no expense. And get dessert. I mean, you really just splurge. I mean, it's Easter, you know. Just go for it. I, I'm going to buy everybody's lunch. I've told the early service that. They're going to join us there. It's going to be fantastic. King's Chapel is taking over the Metro Diner. All right, now just stick with me for a minute. Just picture me giving the manager my credit cards. I got it. I got everybody. I'm buying them all. I got them all. It's all on me. I'm a good guy. Just run that card. Hey, try it again. Try the, did, you, did you rub it a little bit? You know. The manager comes back and says, hey, this card, was, this card is denied. This, this, this is no good. And what's the next question he's going to ask? Who's paying for this meal? You know, he starts looking at, okay, you ordered this, you ordered that. Yeah, he's drinking. Somebody's got to pay for it. Well, the reality is this, is if I invited you to lunch and offered to pay, but I didn't have the ability to actually come through with it, 
It'd be a nice gesture. But it really would be pretty hollow, wouldn't it? Kind of embarrassing. You see, the cross without an empty tomb is nothing more than a nice gesture. It's nothing more than just a nice, hey, that's awfully nice what you did for us. But you know what? It didn't work. It didn't work because why? The Father denied it. You're still in the grave. The sacrifice wasn't enough. You're still there. You see, the funds had to be withdrawn, kind of like you write a check and the funds come out. How do you know if the check's good? It comes out of your account. And how do we know the sacrifice was good? The tomb was empty. And that is the plan. Because if it's, listen, if Jesus is still in the tomb, he is nothing more than a moral example. And he is nothing more than a good teacher. Maybe an inspirational leader. So this is the crux of Christianity. If he's there, if he's dead and buried, and Paul's honest, he's like, we're idiots for believing it. If it's not true, but if it is true, then we are free. If it is true, we are forgiven. The tomb was empty. The sacrifice worked, and hope reigns. And don't show up at Metro Diner thinking I'm buying your lunch. <laughs> okay, so hope reigns because our, 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 uh, the, the story worked, and hope reigns because our past is covered. I love what it says. If Jesus wasn't resurrected from the dead, he uses the negative here. Now, this is what he says. If it didn't happen, here's what happened. Your, your faith is vain and futile. You're believing in stupidity if he's still dead. It says, my preaching is vain. I love how transparent he is. Even more than that, I'm misrepresenting God if he's still in the grave. And the, the scariest thing is, if there's no resurrection, in verse 17 says, we're still in our sins. It didn't work. The payment didn't go through. We still have a holy God to deal with. And our loved ones who have passed away, they're gone. Listen, it's true. I know you, and I know your stories. Our loved ones who have gone are gone without the resurrection. And he goes on to say, if we only hope in Christ in this lifetime, we're of all people the most to be pitied. Isn't that honest of him? If our hope is just for this, how pitiful. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, he, he's no more than a good moral example, a good teacher, maybe an inspirational leader, but he's no savior. It's pitiful to trust in a dead Jesus. I love what Paul says. He's going to get even deeper and even more clear. He's going to say in verse 32, I didn't read it to you, but, so you've got to hear it now. In verse 32, he says this, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Here's what he's saying. If there's no hope in a resurrection, if this is all we got, numb the pain. Go and get some good food. Go and get some great drink. Go and numb your pain. Go and numb your pain. If this is all you got, make the most of it, because you know what? Eat and drink, because tomorrow it's over. Man, that's not Christianity. That's not the hope of what we got. We got hope for today, and bright hope for tomorrow. Jesus lives. Hope reigns. Our sins have been paid the debt has been covered in verse 17. We're no longer still in our sins. In Christ Jesus, it says, they've been separated as far as the east from the west. How far is the east from the west? That's a really far away. He's not holding it against us. How incredible is that? And in Christ Jesus, listen, our loved ones who've passed are in Christ, their home. Their home. In verse 18, our loved ones who, uh, they haven't perished. They're not gone forever. I've sat with some dear friends in this room, and we've wept, and we've we had tears over the loss of the ones we love, and it's broken our hearts. Why? Because death stinks, and it hurts. 
even as believers. But the good news of Easter, we've seen them again. They're alive in Christ. Because he lives, we live. We haven't lost the loved ones that have gone before us. Hope reigns. Hope reigns that our past is covered. Hope reigns that our future is secure. He is the first fruits of the harvest. Uh, we had a saying in the summertime where I grew up, there's a, really a, a lot of farms there, uh, knee high by 4th of July. Knee high by 4th of July. You really wanted to make sure the corn was knee high, looking good by the 4th of July. If it wasn't knee high, did not a good sign. But eventually we wait for that first ear of corn, and that first ear of corn would declare that guess what's coming? A harvest. Have you tasted corn from upstate New York? It's God's country up there. It is so good. It's absolutely incredible. But uh, that, that first ear of corn, again, would be a reminder to all of us that there is a harvest coming, a guarantee of a harvest. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. What does that mean? Well, it's his, through his resurrection, he's declaring that a harvest is coming, that we're a part of that. All of his loved ones will be a part of the first fruits, a part of the harvest to come. You know what Jesus is doing in his resurrection? I love this. Jesus shows us what our future will be like. When he appeared to his disciples, and we appeared to 500 and more, and let's be very clear, the Bible teaches a bodily resurrection. It doesn't say that Jesus just arose in spirit. It was important for the Bible writers and for Jesus to say, there is a body here. And when doubters like Thomas said, I cannot believe it until I see it with my own eyes. And when he shows up to Thomas, he said, Thomas, literally grab your hand and thrust it into my wounds. Touch me. I am real and I am alive. There was a bodily resurrection that he could be touched by those who doubted. But he did more. <laughs> he ate fish. I, I love the fact that Luke 24 told us this random thing that the resurrected Christ ate fish. Why is it important that we know that the resurrected Christ ate fish? Well, it shows us how much, it shows us the future. We too will have a resurrected body. And I don't know exactly how it will be, but I know it'll be like his. And I know that he was able to eat and drink and have a physical body as the first fruits. Your loved ones that you know, that resurrected body, our bodies. Man, they're going to be nice resurrected bodies, aren't they? One of my favorite passages is this, 1 John 3. Listen to this. I, I, I really want to stress verse 2, but you've got to hear all of it because it's too good. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Now, listen. Okay, how does God love us? That we should be called the children of God. Isn't that incredible love? But there's more. And so we are. Oh, my goodness. It's not just a title. The reason why the world does not know us, it, that it did not know him, I love this. Listen, beloved, we are God's children now in Christ Jesus. And here's, here, here it is. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But when we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as it is. Here's what he's saying. And when Christ comes again and we see him, that resurrected body, we are going to be like him. We are going to have resurrected bodies as well. That is what scripture teaches we're not going to be just some disembodied spirits hanging around the clouds somewhere playing harps. I mean, we are going to have a body and soul reunited. We're going to eat. I don't know. 
I don't know exactly what it's going to be like. I've never been there, but I know that there's some really good things here, and everything in creation is under a curse, and it's all groaning, and I still think it's amazing. How much more amazing will it be when there is no more sin, death, and dying? There is no more curse, and we see him face-to-face with a resurrected body with no flab, and we can eat chicken wings all the time. Not only that, the first fruits of the harvest, but death is destroyed. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? In verses 54 and 55. Death is now, to the believer, watch this, death is now a passageway home. Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't true, I wouldn't tell you. But in my Father's house, there's many rooms. I'm going to go make one for you. I'm going to come back and get you. And now we know that it's true what Psalm 116 says, that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. How can death be precious in God's sight? It's a homecoming. And all of us parents know how great it is when your kids come home. When you're old like me, when they come home and they bring grandkids, my goodness, a homecoming is incredible. And that's what now, because death has been swallowed up in victory, hope reigns. Hope reigns in Christ Jesus. Not only is our past covered our future is guaranteed but hope reigns because our present is future is fruitful i should say uh let me read that again hope reigns because our present is fruitful my definition of, of of classic movies might not be yours but clearly one of the classic movies of my lifetime is groundhog day bill murray's groundhog day how do you not love that incredible classic movie where he wakes up every day the same day and lives the same day over and over and over again. Can't you picture the alarm clock click? I got you, babe. You know, start, start singing the song. He's like, oh my goodness, am I living the same day over and over again? His life seems to be going nowhere. It seems to have no meaning. You can see the despair as you just live your life over and over and over again. It feels like the same thing. Hit pause. Anybody ever feel that way? Am I the only one? Everybody feel like, is life kind of Groundhog Day? Is, this a, is there any meaning to this? Is there, is there any purpose to this? Is there any value? Do you ever feel like you're just building a big sandcastle and you're just one wave away from just complete annihilation and ruin? It's all going to be washed away. Well, let me tell you something. That in Christ Jesus, in the resurrection of Christ, our present life matters. It's not just enough that our past is covered. It's not just enough that our future is secure. Today matters. It's important. Today is important. Why? Because it says our labor in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Incredible. My brother is watching. I remember, Billy, you saying this was your favorite verse. Favorite verse. Why? Because what we do for the glory of our great God, what we do for the good of our, ma- our neighbor, matters. You got important work to do tomorrow. You got some important work. You really do. You got to be loving your neighbor tomorrow. You got to be loving your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You got to be advancing Christ's kingdom. It matters what you do. It's empowered. It's not just sandcastles. It's not the groundhog day. The Trojan horse that the Greeks left behind was used to defeat their enemies because they were able to open up the gates of Troy. Jesus in the cross, the ultimate Trojan horse. He, through his life, death, and resurrection, he's opened up the gates of heaven. And now we have access. 
We have access to the Father, access to life, and life abundantly. And now in Christ Jesus, hope reigns. Hope reigns because God's plan worked. Hope reigns because our past is covered. Hope reigns because our future is secured. And hope reigns because our present is fruitful. Someone say amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that hope reigns because Jesus reigns, because life reigns, because our past has been covered, because our future has been secured, and our, our present, oh God, is going to be fruitful in you. God, we thank you that your plan succeeded, that we are forgiven and free, that we are yours and we are beloved, and one day we're going to make it home. Not because we're good enough, not because we're strong enough, not because we're faithful enough, not because we give a lot, because of you and because of your son and what he has done for us. We thank you that you don't lose any sheep, that all of yours are going to find their way home, and we will be with you forever. What hope is ours, because hope reigns in Christ Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.